North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, everybody? Dr. Low Radio is here once again. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. I'm a naturopathic doctor practicing here in San Diego, California. I have a fantastic show lined up for you tonight. I'm very honored to have these guests joining me today. I was sick over the weekend, and I lost my voice. I was actually wondering whether I'd be able to do the show tonight, but miraculously appeared yesterday, so I'm very happy about that. First, I need to say before I introduce the topic and the guest for tonight that last week's show was amazing. Dr. Yarnell was on discussing men's health. We talked about the prostate and issues like prostate cancer and BPH and prostatitis and erectile dysfunction, all kinds of stuff. And we were discussing how natural medicine can effectively address all of these conditions. And Dr. Yarnell has definitely an interesting uh, outlook when it comes to prostate cancer and various prostate condition, so definitely check it out. It's worth the listen. Um, it's not just for men to listen to women. It's important to listen to it to help get the men in your life healthy, and I really recommend that parents tune into it as well because a lot of these conditions that men get can be prevented in childhood, so definitely tune into that. Um, future shows, I'm very excited about next week's show as well. Mark your calendar. I'll have John Neustadt on joining me. We'll be talking about bone health and osteoporosis. And we'll be talking about what it really takes to get your bones strong, and it's a lot more than just calcium. So for sure, mark your calendars for that. And then the week after that, I'm very excited to be hosting a show with Dr. Dick Tom. Dr. Tom was actually one of my professors in naturopathic school, and he's regarded as one of the leaders in our medicine. Um, He has a very thriving practice in Portland, and the topic will be about chronic disease and how real chronic and serious conditions, how those can be treated naturally. Because, you know, it's very easy to say that we prevent diseases and we treat, you know, kind of easy things. But really natural medicine and naturopathic medicine can treat very serious chronic diseases. So we will be talking about that in a couple of weeks. So for tonight's topic, we'll be discussing fat loss with the metabolic effect. And you will understand more of what that means once we get to the show. I have two amazing guests joining me tonight. Just to give you a little bit of a background, As I was finishing up my last year of naturopathic school, I got into interval training and um, Tabata and a little into CrossFit. And I remember thinking to myself, why aren't any naturopathic doctors doing this type of work? I just wasn't feeling like my exercise knowledge was big enough to really help with my patients. Well, around the same time, a colleague of mine recommended this book, and I checked it out, and I was so amazed to see that naturopathic doctors had written it, and I was really, really excited. I had no idea that it existed. Well, it turned out that more than just the book existed, a whole movement exists out in North Carolina. I had no idea, and um, so I became Facebook friends with them, and it's really just history since then. So a little bit of uh, background of the speakers or the guests joining me tonight. I have Drs. Jade and Keone Tita. They are naturopathic physicians and graduates of Bastier University. These brothers are in private practice in the Naturopathic Health Clinic of North Carolina in Winston-Salem. Their clinic specializes in lifestyle medicine with specific emphasis on therapeutic and functional nutrition. They are also founders of The Metabolic Effect, which is an exercise and lifestyle company that uses exercise as medicine. 
Drs. Tita have been working for a combined 30 years in the health and fitness field and, hold, and holds certific, uh, certifications from the American College of Sports Medicine and the National College, uh, excuse me, National Strength and Conditioning Association. Working as doctors and personal trainers, Jade and Keone have trained numerous clients from athletes to the elderly. Their vision is the return of movement as a way of life and the mass realization of exercise as a powerful form of medicine. Through the metabolic effects, they work to merge the medical and fitness industries. Dr. Tita have written and lectured extensively on the subjects of exercise and natural medicine and are currently completing a book on optimal hormone metabolism, utilizing exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle. So I will go ahead and bring Dr. Tita on the line. Make sure my switchboard is working properly. Let's see here. Dr. Tita, are you there? Let's see here. I don't know if Keone's going to be with us, but I am here. Okay, I can hear you. Great. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you. Yeah, definitely. I, I want to mention something that I absolutely loved that I saw on your Facebook page, just to get that out there. It said that, that your wife says you're the perfect mix of a nature boy, a thug, a nerd, an athlete, and a four-year-old. So I just wanted to say I thought that was awesome. I totally identify with that, too. I definitely see myself as a nerd and a little bit of a wannabe gangster at times and, you know, a four-year-old, too. I'm kind of an adolescent boy at times with the, the jokes that I laugh at. But, yeah, so I felt very connected to you in that statement. <laughs> yeah, it's a very fitting statement. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you, um, what led you to become a naturopathic doctor and, and really with the specialty that you have? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of a long story. My um, Kelly and I both, uh, you know, were very involved with sports as kids, and uh, very had a, a very um, natural health-oriented mother who, you know, kind of brought us up on health food and you know taught us uh, the benefits of you know a healthy lifestyle. And as uh, you know, it's interesting. I started personal training even back when I was high in high school, about 15 years old. I was writing programs, exercise programs for um, you know my classmates and their parents and. I had been doing uh, personal training, um, you know, for a while, um, and then I went to undergrad and got my uh, degree in biochemistry. And when I, I always knew I wanted to be in in medicine, and it just really spoke to me. But as I was looking at medical schools, I saw that uh, when I looked at the curriculums, I was kind of amazed to see that there was no uh, education in nutrition and no education in uh, exercise, which is really the whole reason I wanted to go into medicine in the first place because I had already seen the power of, uh, you know, movement and the power of uh, natural diets and uh, healthy eating to change people. Mm-hmm. And Keone and I both uh, realized that at the same time that really we did not want to go the traditional route. And I don't want to take anything away from, you know, medical doctors and what they do, but it wasn't really, uh, you know, for me. I really wanted to, you know, change people's lives, and so I believe that drugs and surgery kind of are the alternatives, and I was just amazed to see that stuff, uh, diet and exercise training was not part of their education at all, which led me to, you know, really start looking around, uh, Kelly and I both, at, you know, different approaches, and we stumbled across the uh, naturopathic approach, which is uh, a much more lifestyle-oriented approach to medicine which really spoke to us, and uh, we kind of brought our fitness background into that with us. And uh, it's been one of the best moves, most rewarding moves that I I think we um, could have made. So uh, we're really excited about, uh, you know, kind of the background that that brought us. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I love what you said is that the that um you know, medication and surgery and that's the alternative. I love that. It's so true. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's well, like it's, yeah. It's okay. true. I mean, I think all of us, you, me, Keone, all the, the natural health oriented people, um, you know, not just practitioners but people in general, I mean this is, you know, common sense that we see this and I think even a lot of medical doctors uh, would agree with this as well, but it's not always practiced, and really the skills are not there. I'll actually give you a little bit of an anecdotal story about Keone and I. We, we we actually do lectures for medical doctors around the country, and we um, were at one prominent medical school, one of the most prominent medical schools actually in the country. Won't be naming names, but uh, we were speaking to a group of about 70 uh, physicians, family physicians, on natural medicine and exercise, and kind of off the cuff before I got started, I kind of asked and said, you know, how many of you guys had any training in nutrition, either in undergraduate school or medical school? And out of 70 doctors, one hand went up in the group. And I followed that question up with uh, how many of you have had any training in exercise at all, either in undergraduate or uh, medical school, and no hands went up. Wow. And it was just kind of a striking difference between, uh, you know, kind of uh, what Keone and I do and what is actually taught uh, in medical schools. And to their credit, the uh, doctors there were very gracious and um, very interested in what we had to say. So I think uh, they're hungering for this as well as uh, natural health seekers. So, you know, we really are kind of, I, I hope, uh, moving more in that direction in the future. A- absolutely. The the different medical school students that I've met over the years, osteopathic, osteopathic students, and even the, the current doctors, they, they want to learn this stuff. They just don't learn it in school. So that the, you know, the demand is there, but they're just not, it's not in the curriculum. Yeah, it's too bad that it's like that. But, I mean, I think, uh, you know, slowly as the as interest picks up and we start realizing how important it is to health, um, it's going to change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because the consumers are asking for it. Patients want it. Um, so how how does being a naturopathic doctor help uh, in your practice when it comes to the fitness of the patient? How is that? How has your view of fitness changed since you went to naturopathic school? Well, you know, it's really interesting. One of the one of the key insights I think you get as a, a naturopathic uh, doctor is that uh, the body has uh, healing capabilities, and that if you give it kind of the right things, uh, it's going to do a lot of the work of healing and most of the work of healing. So it's kind of like removing those obstacles to cure. Unfortunately, a lot of times natural medicine takes the turn of, you know, doing things that are, you know, um, you know more high force, you know. So, you know, I'm not speaking of drugs and surgery here, but I'm speaking of things like supplements and herbs and things like that. And so obviously most natural health people say, well, that's not necessarily high force. And, it's, you know, it really isn't, but it is when you consider it in the context of diet and exercise. I mean, changing your diet and, and moving more is, uh, you know, what I like to call the big rocks, you know. So if you're filling a, a bucket with rocks, a lot of people have heard this analogy before, but I like to just repeat it because I think it's important to get us all kind of squared away in what we're doing here. But if you want to fill a bucket, a bucket with rocks, you know, first thing you're going to do is pick up big rocks, one, two, or three of those are going to fit in that bucket, but you're going to realize real quickly that there's space between those rocks, so you can fill it with pebbles. And then you'll realize there's more space, so you can fill it with sand, and then finally you can fill that bucket up with water, and it's finally filled up. Well, in natural medicine, you know, I look at it like, you know, diet, uh, exercise, sleep, stress reduction. Those are the big rocks, and then we can move into things like supplements and herbs and things like that, and that makes up, you know, more the 
the sand and the water. And I think naturopathic medicine, one of the really cool things that it does is it really does give you kind of that, uh, uh, you know, hierarchy or order of intervention. And really that's the, the first thing it taught us is that, you know, really this stuff is the base of good health. And then the next thing it really taught us is that everybody is uniquely different. And, you know, the doctor, practitioner has to kind of um, work within those differences. And so those two things, I think, are uh, two of the key concepts that really were drilled into us as uh, naturopathic doctors and kind of we brought forth in our company. Our company is actually called Metabolic Effect with the acronym ME, as in me, to kind of, um, you know, give you know give the understanding that it really is about the individual. So our programs that we do in fat loss, we're really not uh, protocol programs where it's a one-size-fits-all approach. We really believe, and I think naturopathic medicine teaches, that you fit the program to the individual rather than the other way around. And so that's really kind of the major thing we got from our naturopathic training and the major thing that we bring to this, uh, this fat loss lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not a cookie-cutter approach for sure. Um, what is the metabolic effect exactly? Well, you know, it's interesting. It means a lot of different things. I mean, uh, the first thing, you know, kind of at a at a kind of high level, you know, the metabolic effect is sort of the optimal metabolic function for the individual, you know, at, at kind of the highest level. And so people would say, well, okay, I mean, what's that mean for the individual? I mean, essentially what it means is that you are in the right environment for your genetic expression. And so that's kind of a fancy way of saying that we're all uniquely different and we all require a different lifestyle. A very simple way to think about this is that, you know, I, I have Italian ancestry. Um, you know, I have uh, a friend who is, uh, you know, actually Samoan. I have uh, other friends who are, you know, Irish, and we all come from different, you know, kind of genetic pools. And all those people you know, kind of were brought up on different ways of eating and have uh, genes that are tuned to certain ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And, of course, our ancestors, we're, we are still evolving. So we're very different now than maybe then, but we're more similar than we might think. And finding someone's metabolic effect is really about finding that perfect environmental influence of diet, exercise, and lifestyle that is uniquely tuned to their genetic expression so that they can derive optimal health. That's sort of the global meaning of what the metabolic effect is, but sort of at, you know, the the lower level of what it means in the context of exercise and diet, it essentially is a state of uh, using diet and exercise to turn on certain key metabolic hormones that allow you to burn fat and calories for long after the event. So the idea is every single time you eat, every single time you work out, sleep, stress will create this metabolic effect, good or bad, that will have ramifications on your fat loss potential moving forward. And unfortunately, a lot of us are not in, you know, our optimal metabolic effect. We really are choosing food, doing exercise, doing things that may not be suitable or most beneficial. So really what this ME is, this metabolic effect, is finding the right diet and exercise combination that's going to deliver fat loss results. And one of the things is that people will kind of get the term. They'll say, well, why do you keep saying fat loss and not weight loss? Because really the metabolic effect is uh, about making a key distinction, which is that weight loss and fat loss are not the same at all, yet all of our language and everybody who's after body change is coming at it 
playing the weight loss game. And it's one of the reasons why we're having such problems with the obesity epidemic because weight loss does not equal fat loss. And just because you're burning calories or losing weight does not mean you're losing fat. And if you are losing muscle, your metabolic effect, your metabolism is going to be slowed, is going to be damaged, is going to be less efficient over time. And so that's really kind of what we're speaking about here. It's really about taking individuals and teaching them a new way to live because it's really interesting. People think body change is just about eating healthy and exercising. Well, eating healthy is not the same as eating for fat loss or for body change, but eating for fat loss is always eating healthily. And those distinctions are things that people are not being taught. They're not even being taught by, you know, um, a lot of the natural health practitioners. These distinctions are key distinctions that need to be made, and that's kind of what the metabolic effect encompasses, you know, teaching that new lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Right. So how how would you go about finding <clears throat> the specific formula for an individual regarding their, their diet or, you know, their exercise and everything? What's What's the way that you approach that with the patient? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the first thing that we do is we have to kind of look at, you know, uh, the two major ways that we burn fuel. And, you know, one way you can look at burning fuel has to do with the autonomic or automatic nervous system, so whether someone is more stress-driven or more relaxed. And, of course, we know that stress hormones are designed to be released to release energy. So, you know, there's that, you know, uh, the saber-toothed tiger we all talk about that, you know, could be chasing us, that we're built to avoid, and the reason we release stress hormones is to release fat and blood sugar to run away or fight. Some people are very stress reactive in that regard, so we have to kind of look at what is going on with people's auto autonomic nervous system. But we also want to look at how people are in their oxidative system, so how they burn their fuels. Are they more of a sugar burner or are they more of a fat burner? And really what we do is we take that very complex biochemistry that I'm being very simple about right now, but we take that very complex biochemistry, ask people the same kind of questions that they might get if they go to their standard uh, doctor's office. We also look at their standard blood labs, and we basically put them into, you know, three different categories. The important thing about these categories for people to understand is to understand that they're, they're just clinical tools. So there's... You know, we cannot take, everyone is uniquely different. We certainly cannot take all people and say, you fit neatly into three different categories. But what we're doing is we are basically putting in these categories to give them a place to start, to give them a starting blueprint from which to begin the process of learning and practicing this new fat loss lifestyle. So an example would be someone comes and they have, you know, uh, the standard you know, metabolic syndrome, insulin sensitivity, fat storage around their middle, high fasting blood sugar levels, you know, uh, low HDL, high LDL, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, a little bit high blood pressure. So we're we're basically knowing right away this person is insulin resistant. They're going to be put into the sugar burner category because the first thing that happens when you lose the ability to sense insulin is that your body will become less efficient at burning fat and more efficient at burning sugar. And over time, you will lose the ability to burn sugar as well, and that's when you become diabetic. And what we're doing is we're looking at people on this continuum from insulin sensitivity to stress reactivity and putting them on this continuum where they belong and then giving them a specific diet 
but will balance out that hormonal biochemistry on a specific process from which they can learn their unique fat loss formula. So everyone that kind of goes through Keone's in my plan ends up at a very unique diet that is actually unique to them. So I think a lot of people get confused when they read our book that they think, oh, there's three types and I'm supposed to be following one of these three types. The point is the types are simply a starting point and you basically end up at your unique fat loss formula. So everyone who goes through this program should end up at a unique place for them. Mm-hmm. And and how a lot of a lot of patients, like you just mentioned, will look at their you know their body type and go, oh, I need to do a ton of cardio. So you'll see them in the gym on the treadmill, you know, for 45 minutes to an hour, five days a week, and maybe it'll help initially, but they really won't keep the the weight loss or excuse me, fat loss off long term. So what's what's going on with that type of scenario? Well, one of the things we need to understand, again, I mean, you know, there's key distinctions that need to be made. You know, cardiovascular exercise is a very healthy, there's a, there's a ton of research on cardiovascular exercise. We don't want to forget what we know about it. It's ex- exceedingly healthy. Everyone should be doing it. The problem is, is that it is not optimal for fat loss. And it is not even that optimal to, for weight loss. And, you know, usually when I say this, people kind of look at me, but everybody has the experience or knows someone, you know, that, you know, has gone on a marathon running program with the with the dream of changing their body and getting their body, you know, fit and healthy. And oftentimes what they will see is that there's very little change and or they actually ended up heavier, um, than they did than they were before, and what I often see in my clinic, um, more than often, you know, most frequently is people come in, they do these programs, they're doing cardio like crazy, they lose a little weight, but it is all muscle, almost all muscle, and so what we have to understand is that while cardiovascular exercise is healthy, it is not fat loss exercise, and so people might be like, why, why haven't I heard this before? You know, because I want to change my body. You know, I'm here to lose, you know, lose weight and lose fat. The reason people haven't heard it before is because simply their doctors don't know, um, haven't been taught, don't realize that, you know, the calorie model is not um, the whole story when it comes to fat loss. What ends up happening, and actually people who have, uh, you know, pay attention to the news may have seen actually Time Magazine back in August of 2009 did a great review on the research related to aerobic cardiovascular exercise and weight loss. And essentially what the studies show is that there's really no weight loss advantage and certainly no fat loss advantage when cardiovascular exercise makes up the majority of the exercise. And basically what they showed is that there's a series of compensatory reactions that have to do with stress hormones and hunger hormones that essentially make us overeat after doing this kind of stuff. So we don't want to get, you know, what Kelly and I don't want to do is say, hey, cardio is bad, because, you know, you will certainly find individuals who go on cardio programs and do very, very well and are able to lose weight and are able to keep the weight off. The problem is they are in the minority. Most Mm -hmm. people who come to our office who are overweight, obese, insulin insensitive, who go on these programs do not get the results they're after. And so it is, you know, a troubling situation because they're being told, you know, do healthy exercise, do healthy eating, but the people who are giving them the information don't know the difference between what is healthy exercise and diet and what is fat loss, body change, uh, exercise and diet. And I think that's an important thing that people need to understand. Mm Mm-hmm. How can uh, how can a, 
uh, a person, you know, looking at your at your book, it says to eat more, work out less, and actually lose weight while you rest. So what's what's that about, and how does a person achieve that to actually lose weight while they rest? Yeah, you, well, you know, it's really interesting. It sounds like science fiction, and, and actually, <laughs> when, Kelly, when Kelly and I first, you know, uh, did this, we were, you know, we were working with the publishers, and they were saying, well, you know, tell us about your program, and you know what it's all about. And essentially, you know, what we came to is that that particular statement is absolutely the truth. And I'll explain to people very simply so they can understand. So let's first take the idea of how do you eat more yet still burn fat. And so I'm going to give you, uh, you know, the difference between what is healthy eating and what is fat loss eating. And I, I give this distinction, Kelly and I both do, at almost every talk we do because it's such a powerful distinction to show people the difference between what is healthy and what is fat loss. So I'm going to give you a healthy meal, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the best cereal that I can think of, the one with the most fiber and the most protein, and we're going to take that and compare it to another meal. So let's say one breakfast that we have is a Kashi Goline Crunch cereal with, uh, you know, maybe some whole grain bread with that and, you know, half, half a glass of orange juice. And let's say, you know, we, you and I know, Dr. Noel, that if you take a bowl of cereal, you know, the, the serving size of, of one serving of cereal is very small. So um, let's even two cups of kashi goling is going to be a pretty small meal. But let's do two cups of kashi goling cereal, whole grain toast, and orange juice. And let's compare that to an eight-egg white omelet. And in that omelet, let's put one cup of mushrooms, one cup of spinach, one cup of onions, Let's put a little bit of bell pepper in there, too. And then let's take, you know, one cup of blueberries on the side and maybe add a couple pieces of uh, lean Canadian bacon to that and a large glass of green tea. Now, if I give you those two meals, that Tashi Go Lean Crunch meal, which is a very healthy, standard American diet, and compare it to that eight-egg white omelet, Canadian bacon, blueberries, and green tea, we all know that the egg white omelet is a huge amount of food. What a lot of us don't realize is that that egg white omelet, if you actually go out to calorieking.com or any of these sites and calculate these two meals in terms of calories, you're going to see that the egg white omelet actually has slightly less calories than the Tashi Goline Crunch cereal. And the macronutrient ratios of carbohydrate to protein to fat are more favorable for fat loss in the egg white omelet. Now, the other piece to this is we all know that two cups of cereal you can eat easily. As a matter of fact, most people will will pour cereal more like four cups, and their calories will go up even more. Meanwhile, very few people can finish that eight egg white omelet because it's so much food, so the calories will be even less. Now, that is how you eat more and still burn fat. And we use what we call a preemptive eating strategy, which essentially says we are built to seek out food. That, that's what we're built for. Our physiology, if you try to decrease calories indiscriminately, our metabolism is going to slow everything down, and it's also going to say, feed me, and sooner or later it's going to crave food, and it's going to crave specifically sugary, fatty, salty food. That's what these stress hormones tend to do to us. That's what the body does when you don't feed it. And that's what these low-calorie diets are doing when you force yourself to eat low-calorie healthy food. Instead, 
if you eat low-calorie fat loss food preemptively, meaning every two to four hours before you ever get hungry, what happens is you drastically reduce your calorie consumption without even trying, simply because you're approaching this from the hormonal perspective, looking at things like ghrelin and leptin and insulin and glucagon and cortisol and all these hormones that make a difference on how hungry we are and whether we will burn fat or not. So that's one key distinction that people need to get if they've never heard that before. You can actually eat more and burn more fat, and that's really the better way to do it because when you do it that way, your body does not think it's starving and it doesn't have these compensatory reactions. So that's the first part of your question. The next part of your question is how can you exercise less and burn fat? Well, the idea is that we have taken an approach in our um, culture, and because of exercise science, for so long, exercise scientists were studying only what happened during exercise. So they basically looked and said, okay, well, if we do an hour of exercise, we're burning calories, and that's all that matters. Well, it turns out about 20 years ago, some researchers started looking at what happens after exercise. And what they discovered is that when you do exercise of very high intensity, you end up burning more fat and calories after the workout is over. And so, obviously, the harder you work out, the shorter you're going to have to work out. So what we advocate is rather than going longer, hours and hours of cardio spinning your wheels, what you do is go shorter and more intense you still burn the calories during the workout, but you also get more of a calorie and fat burn after the workout as well. And when you turn cardio into weight training, this is one thing that a lot of people don't realize. A lot of people think, hey, if I eat more calories than my body needs, it automatically goes to fat. Well, if your body needs to repair damaged tissue, say muscle tissue because you've been lifting weights, then those extra calories do not go to fat. They go to building more muscle. So this is the difference, shorter duration, higher intensity, interval-type training where you push yourself to the point of discomfort and then rest, and weight training, turn on key metabolic hormones that will make you a fat burner, not just when you're exercising, but at rest. And so I often tell people, when would you rather burn fat? Would you rather burn fat for the hour that you're doing your exercise, or would you rather be burning fat and building muscle for, you know, the next 24 hours while you're sitting at home on the couch. That's the difference. And in order to do that, you have to exercise for a shorter period of time because otherwise you're just going to be pacing yourself. This is information that most doctors are not aware of, or if they are, they're afraid of because intense exercise scares people. However, Intense exercise does not have to be scary at all because when you use a push-then-rest type of exercise program, like an interval training program, essentially what happens is my 96-year-old grandfather can get up, walk across the room, and be at his peak intensity, then rest as long as he needs to and do it again. You or I may need to go for one minute as hard as we can before we have to rest, then we rest and repeat it. So it is a very safe and scalable way of training for all fitness levels. Hmm. What about the the woman who is like, but that's going to make me bulky if I'm lifting weights and I'm not doing all my cardio. What do you say to that? 
Well, here's the interesting thing about that. A lot of trainers would say, you know, to the, to their clients, well, that just doesn't happen. Women can get bulky. And the truth is, women can get bulky. It's just not what women think. What happens is that if you are putting on muscle and you're not burning any fat, then that's sort of like putting on a jacket over two sweaters. You're going to look bulky. The fact of the matter is is that what you want to do is you want to do exercise that burns fat and builds muscle. Muscle takes up less space on the body, so what happens is you end up looking smaller, more tight, and toned. But you have to do this the right way. You know, lifting weights instead of doing cardio and just doing, you know, traditional weight training can make some people bulky if they're not eating a fat loss diet and they're not doing fat loss exercise. The problem is is that they're not getting the right information. So, you know, it's really not a concern for women so long as we are burning fat. And here's the one thing that I'll say for women who prefer to do, you know, um, you know the cardio. The idea is some women, and you can find them in all areas of sports, you can see just beautiful, tight bodies running, doing marathons and doing triathlons and all that kind of thing. Those people are uniquely gifted in that they can do long-duration cardio and hold on to their muscle and get very lean. Again, they are in the minority. What will happen to most people is that they will burn some fat, yes, but they will burn a lot of muscle. And you either run into two situations. You run into a situation where people are skinny, yet flabby, something that we call skinny fat, or the medical term as we get older is called sarcokinic obesity, where you basically have low muscle mass. You might be thin to the look, but when you touch the back, the body, it's soft and soggy. Doing this kind of fat loss training will not make you bulky. What it will do is it's going to make you more tone and more firm to the touch. So it's really interesting. A lot of the girls that I work with, when you put them on a scale, a lot of people think in terms of weight. And it's funny because a lot of my closest friends who live this lifestyle, I love going with them to the fair or the circus or something like that, and I love taking them up to the person who tries to guess weights because I always walk away with a stuffed animal because what they'll do is they'll say, oh, you weigh 130, when in reality the person weighs 150. They look like they're 125 or 130 because they're so muscular and tight. And it's something that most people don't realize. So would you rather be skinny and flabby or muscular and tight? That's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I weigh about 160 myself, and I definitely don't look it for sure. And I think having that muscle has something to do with it. Um, I wanted to uh, give the number out for callers who'd like to call in. The number is 818-495-6919. I do have a caller on the line who'd like to ask a question. It's in the 972 area code, so I will go ahead and bring this caller on the air. Caller, are you there? Yes, I am. Thanks. Can What's you your name? Me? Where are you calling from? Hi, this is Tony. I'm calling from Oxford, Texas. Sure, what's your name? I've got a car full of kids coming out for basketball practice. Well, sorry if there's chaos in the background. No um, problem. I had a quick question. Um, I just had a quick question. I am kind of struggling to determine my body type, and I'm someone that I exercise a lot. I do. um, I work out with a trainer who is fantastic um, once or twice a week, and she has me following a lot of what is in the book or what is on the videos in terms of the metabolic effect. She's a huge believer. Um, I am committed to following that exercise and the diet regimen, but I love the cardio. Like, I want to run marathons, and I want to do an Ironman, and there are things that I personally just enjoy doing. So how do I balance that with the fact that, at the end of the day, I still want to change my body? 
Do you know what I mean? I mean, uh, that's where I'm struggling. Is how what do I do so that I can kind of have those treats, you know, once a month or something that I can go run a half marathon or run a marathon where I'm not completely going to um, sabotage everything that I've worked for that month and then go out and run 26 miles. Right. Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's a great question. It's a question that we get frequently. And the, and the answer is you can absolutely do both. And if you do it right, they actually work synergistically together. So part of the idea is is that people, when they read uh, Keone's in my book, they really kind of get the idea that we're cardio haters and that you should never do cardio. Really what we're trying to do, we wanted in that book to make a clear distinction. So we did want to kind of, um, you know, let people realize that it's not the ideal type of exercise to be doing for body change. However, it can work for body change. So I work with uh, marathon runners and triathletes all the time. And actually when we work with them, not only does, do they get leaner uh, and more muscular and get, you know, the, the results they want, but the performance increases. And so simply what we normally do with them is we say, look, you know, most people who are endurance junkies, they're doing 75% of their exercise or more in the form of cardio. All we're essentially saying is that you really need to get that back to 50-50 or 60-40. 60% weight training and interval training, 40% long duration exercise. And the reason why is because interval training, the high-intensity stuff, will make you more anabolic help you hold on to your muscle mass, and help you get more of this afterburn effect. And the interesting thing about that is when you are anaerobic, when you go anaerobic in exercise, when you're doing sprints, when you're doing intervals, when you're doing, you know, these circuit-based weight training programs, you are anaerobic. But what people don't realize is that when you go anaerobic, aerobic capacity does not all of a sudden shut off. The reason we go anaerobic is because our aerobic capacity is maxed out, 100% maxed out, and then the anaerobic potential starts to take over. So when you go anaerobic, you are maxed out aerobically, which will do what? Will improve your aerobic capacity because it is at its max. So what happens is you want to do two things for someone like you. You want to say, okay, I know I want to run, and it's very healthy for me, and it's a great thing to do. And, you know, by the way, it's great for depression and anxiety and all those things, but I also want to change my body type. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to shorten down most of my workouts, make them more intense, do more weight training and more interval training, and leave 30% of my exercise to the cardiovascular sphere where I go long duration. And what will happen is you'll begin to see that now your long runs and your long bike rides and your performance begins to increase you begin to feel better, and you begin to get the results you want. And simply all you need to do is make your long runs one or two a week max, and everything else turns into high-intensity, short-duration, interval, and weight training. And when you do that, you're going to begin to see the results. Well, and the irony with that is that's so much more, I mean, as a mom, it's so much easier to make time for two long runs and then doing weight training. So really, that's the good news all around. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, Oh, it's a little hard to hear at this point. Are you still there, caller? Yes, I am. I was just okay. saying that it's a perfect, perfect balance because there's more time to be made for that type of workout where you can do two long runs and then some weight training during the week. I think that's so much more feasible than trying to do all the long stuff anyway. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for calling in. 
appreciate your question here. My my internet is kind of acting up. I'm trying to manage my switchboard, and it's being funny. Um, okay, great. So I wanted to actually ask a Facebook question. Um, it says, this is from Jenna. She says, I'm a 26-year-old female, and I have PCOS. Do you have specific exercise or diet suggestions for my condition? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things with PCOS that's really interesting is that oftentimes when you get the PCOS client doing the right things, they actually can see fantastic results. And the reason why is because PCOS is an interesting situation. It's insulin resistance with sort of a high anabolic potential, high testosterone levels. And so the best thing to be doing for PCOS is to basically be significantly reducing your uh, insulin levels by cutting down carbohydrates, and you have to be careful not to go too low with carbohydrates. So we're not talking about ketogenic diets here or anything like that, but we're trying to find small amounts of carbohydrate that will keep your energy level up and allow you to train hard but not interrupt fat loss. And then use that all that extra testosterone you have through weight training and interval training to turn on your metabolic potential. And what happens with these people is they will burn fat uh, fairly easily. The other piece that you want to be looking at if you're PCOS is really balancing the estrogen-progesterone ratio, which has a profound effect as well. And so we work on restoring that, and a good naturopath or good uh, integrative physician um, can help you do that as well. But really, the, the plan for someone with PCOS in our book would be to start with the sugar burner plan and basically go from there. You might need more or less carbohydrates based on your energy level, but actually PCOS has some advantages for you. The idea, though, is is you're going to have to drastically decrease all the things that your doctor tells you are healthy for you, and those are the whole grains and those kinds of things because they may be healthy, but in someone who has PCOS, it's not going to help at all. And so what you want to do is you want to begin to decrease the carbohydrates, not take them out completely, really increase the vegetable content and the protein content of the diet, and then begin to weight train and do interval training, and then combine that with low-intensity exercise, things like restorative yoga and walking, along with balancing out the estrogen-progesterone ratio, and you'll see some very good results. Actually, I've seen some of our best results that Tony and I see come with people who come in with PCOS as a diagnosis. It's just simply taking them and putting them in a different environment, one that involves using all that testosterone to build muscle and cutting out the insulin-promoting carbohydrates, and all of a sudden you have the perfect environment for fat loss. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and what about what suggestions would you have for a patient who has um, adrenal issues? You know, they get diagnosed with adrenal insufficiency and, you know, want to restore that but also want to do the suggestions that you have outlined in your book to really shed fat. Yeah, it's a really important question, and I'll tell I'll tell your listeners an, an interesting anecdote. Anyone who measures, uh, you know, stress hormones on people, a lot of people think, well, obese people. I mean, I usually do this as a quiz, and we've asked it on our Facebook page several times. You know, what do you think? Do you think an obese person that comes to see me in my clinic, do you think they have high cortisol more often or low cortisol more often? And the answer is, they actually have low cortisol more often than not, not high cortisol. And this has an awful lot to do with what happens to the adrenal glands, which are a major hub of metabolic potential. And so what happens is with someone who has adrenal insufficiency or adrenal fatigue, the catecholamines, adrenaline and noradrenaline, and cortisol 
really, you know, it's kind of like whipping a dead horse or a tired horse. You know, they're not going to get up after a little while, and that's what's happening with the adrenal gland. And it's very difficult to deal with, but, again, it's really interesting because the most draining thing for the adrenal glands is long-duration, moderate-intensity exercise. Mm-hmm. Short-duration, higher-intensity exercise is going to be better, but here's the trick with those people is that intense exercise and long-duration exercise both will be taxing to the adrenal gland. Short-duration is going to be a little little bit better, but with these people you may have to start with five, ten minutes of intense work. And what Kelly and I do is we use the heart rate recovery as our indication of when the workout needs to end. You know, so those who have adrenal fatigue, what you can do is go get yourself a heart rate monitor, start going through some of these interval training methods, push hard and then rest, and what you'll see is your heart rate will peak, and then that heart rate will begin to drop. And it should drop 20 points or more within a minute. That's what a healthy, uh, you know, response will be. What will happen with people with adrenal fatigue is that heart rate will rise, and then it won't come down nearly as fast. And what you'll find is at the beginning of the workout, it rises and it falls pretty quickly. And then as the workout goes on, it starts to linger and it won't come down as much. As soon as that begins to happen, you want to cut that workout short. So what I would say is restorative yoga, walking, lots of low, low, low-intensity exercise combined with two to three high-intensity interval training workouts a week that are starting at five to ten minutes only and slowly build back the metabolic potential of the adrenals. And normally what we're doing is also doing adrenal support at the same time, and it seems to work well. But uh, it is a very difficult thing to deal with, and it does not work well for all people because there's other things that could be going on here. But people who are adrenal fatigue and adrenal uh, you know, insufficiency can tend to do well on this type of program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's just very um, fine-tuned for the individual, and that's the important part of making sure to see a naturopathic doctor who can assess that and see if this is something that is really, you know, good for you to do individually. So I want to take another Facebook question. It says, I am a 29-year-old female, and I've been competing in in figure competitions for three years now. My periods have recently stopped, and I attribute it to my stressful lifestyle. I want to continue competing, but I I don't want to harm my body. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I mean, one of the things is, you know, the, the uh, it is a very stressful uh, life of being a, a competitor. You know, body fat percents drop, um, you know, within an eight-week period normally. Um, people can go down, women can go down to 13, 12, 11% body fat. Men are getting down to, you know, 6 and 4% body fat. And at those levels, you know, the body is going to begin shutting down uh, reproductive function. And so for women who are competitors, it's really interesting to kind of uh, to look at this. A lot of people will get scared of this, but this kind of thing has gone on in the natural world for, you know, um, all of existence, the protective mechanism that, you know, the female body has, you know, in times of famine and in times of stress. However, you don't want to continue to subject yourself to that stress because then you can run into things like adrenal fatigue and the, some of the other things that we were talking about. So the best thing that you can be doing is taking good, uh, ovarian support, you know, bal- balancing out estrogen and progesterone ratios, a good nature path will help you that. And also, you know, really looking at um, a really good adrenal support uh, supplement as well. And making sure your body gets the message that it is being fed. So using some good 
or quality fats and good quality amino acid supplements. You know, competitors, just like, you know, um, serious competitors in the endurance world, they're going to run into this on occasion. But paying attention to these key areas is going to help your body bounce back uh, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's a whole holistic approach. Um, all the callers on the line, if you'd like to ask a question, just press 1. I see a bunch of people on the switchboard, but I'm not sure if they want to actually ask, ask a question, so I don't want to startle them by bringing them on the air. Um, what I like about your book is that in the diet section, you don't just have you know one diet for people to follow. It's all for different types. So when it comes to the concept of individuality, when it comes to diet, so how do you determine what, what type of person is? Is it through questionnaires? Is it through just that individual assessment that you said? Can, can a person, you know, determine that by reading the book for themselves? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and the, the answer is uh, for people to understand, we use the assessments in the book because it's the best tool that we have. But it's important for people to understand that it's an imperfect tool. Subjective analysis such as questionnaires oftentimes can miss people. And the important thing that, that – uh, people need to also understand is the type of the burner types in the book. We all tend to get really excited and want to go out and tell our friends, oh, I'm this type or I'm that type. But the truth is you really don't know your type and and nor do we. Keone and I do sophisticated testing in our um, clinic that includes, you know, organic acid testing, adrenal stress index, you know, uh, genetic testing, things like that to determine more specifically people's types. But the important thing is not to get hung up on that because the truth is we don't know your type and neither do you. As as much knowledge as we have through our education, really the best tool to figure out your type is to start any one of those those types, you know, muscle burner, sugar burner, mixed burner, and begin the process of determining the type for yourself. So I want to give people uh, an example of this. What happens is let's say you take the questionnaire in the book and it, it – says you're a muscle burner, and you say, well, you know what, Jade, I'm really not thin. I've always been heavy. Well, this is where you get into some of the publishing-type issues. Muscle burners can absolutely be obese, and they are oftentimes. I mean, it's not the norm, but they can be. But the idea is once you start on that diet, let's say by accident, you know, you really are a sugar burner. Once you start on that program, you're going to be tapping into subjective measures, including hunger, energy, and cravings. And you're also going to be measuring fat loss results. Well, if you're going along and your hunger, energy, and cravings are just fine, no issues at all, but you're not losing fat, then what you're going to do is you're going to cut back your carbohydrate intake, you're going to cut back your fat intake slightly, you're going to increase your vegetable intake, and you're going to increase your protein intake. You're going to go along for a couple more weeks, and you're going to see, okay, my hunger, my cravings, my energy level, they're all balanced. I'm still not losing fat. Okay, well, then you do it again. You cut back the carbohydrates a little bit. You cut back the fat a little bit. You increase protein and fiber, and then you measure, go along for a couple weeks, and you measure fat loss. Lo and behold, now you're starting to see fat loss results come. And what happens is this is the only way true fat loss works. So you may have started at a muscle burner, but through this process, you end up at a mixed burner diet or a sugar burner diet. And this is how the process works. So it really is a combination of taking the questionnaires, getting yourself in the ballpark, and then working the process. So there is no such thing as a diet that we can give you that says do this and you're going to see great results. What we're doing is we're giving a tool to you 
to get you in the ballpark, but then it's up to people to begin to work the process. And once they, the beautiful thing about that is once they go through the process, that process stays with them now for the rest of their life because metabolism is not static. It will change. It changes if you get ill. It changes when you have kids. It changes when you go through menopause or andropause. It changes when you go through puberty. It's not static. And, what ha- and this is why when someone comes to me and says, well, Weight Watchers always worked for me, and then I turned 30, and it stopped working for me. And that's because they never actually learned this process. Instead, what they were doing was following protocols, and protocols don't work. They work for some people, not most people, and they usually will stop working over time. So if you work this process, you're going to find your unique fat loss formula, and that's really what it's about. It's not about eating a diet for a type. It's about starting with the type, working the process, and finding your unique fat loss formula. Right, right. Definitely individualized. I have a couple last questions for you. I can't believe how fast this interview has has gone. It's like there's seven minutes left, and I have so many more questions, so I'll have to pick my two favorites. Um, let's see. There are so many diet books out there, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of diet books. And, and you know, your book, it, it towards the end of it, it goes into the mental-emotional side of fat loss and sticking to a program. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, it's I, I definitely can. Actually, um uh, Sean Acor wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage, and I'm going to quote him so that people can kind of understand this. But in his book, and I don't know if this originated with him, but I always like to give credit for things that I borrow. And, you know, essentially what he says is information is not transformation. And it's such an, an important component of diet books because all these diet books out there give a ton of information. And all of them, I would say, lots of them have, you know, gems in them. I mean, most of them you can find some gems. And, you know, it doesn't matter what diet is out there. You know, the jelly bean diet, the you know, the the red clay diet, all these weird diets, whatever you want to call it, you'll find a diet that will work for someone because it uniquely matches their psycho-spiritual sensitivities, their metabolism, and their needs. And so the idea behind this is that you really have to understand that dietary and lifestyle changes are about behavior first, not information. And unfortunately, what we do as a society is we're always looking for more information. We think that the information is going to save us and make the difference. So we'll go from one program to the next program to the next, not realizing that it's our behaviors, our mental processes, and our thoughts and things like that that make the biggest difference. So this is a concept that I will share with your listeners that is probably the most important thing that we can talk about, and that is the fact that this is practice. If you want to learn an instrument or you want to learn a new language, that takes practice. You make mistakes, you learn new things, you have setbacks, then you move forward, and along the way you slowly begin to master the process. And the truth is you could always get better. You know, so success comes in the pursuit of mastery in these types of situations. And that's the same way it is with body change. This is practice. And so you have to give up this idea that you're going to be perfect and I'm going to follow this diet to a T and I'm going to do it, you know, 100%. The idea is that we should be relishing the setbacks because then they teach us about the key behaviors and the key insights that are unique to us that will move us forward. And that is, this is where the rubber meets the road in body change and in health and in fitness. It really is about the process. So people need to kind of uh, look at these diets in context, including ours, and realize that all that information means nothing 
if you can't make the behaviors stick and you can't begin to practice this. So you want to look at diets. You want to look at fat loss. You want to look at this as a journey. You want to look at it as a long-term process that you're going to get better and better and better at. And, you know, it's kind of fun, too, because what we get to do is we get to become masters of our own metabolism in a sense. We get to learn how our bodies and our minds and everything interact. And along the way, if you're listening, you will figure it out. But for some people, it does take time. So that's kind of what I could say and why Keone and I went into so much detail in the in the last few chapters on, you know, behavior and the mental-emotional side because it really is what drives all of this. Yeah, it's huge. I, I love that. It's relish, relish the set, in the setbacks and just enjoy the process, you know, for sure. Definitely. Dr. Tita, awesome interview. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can listeners uh, learn more about you and get your book? Um, well, the book is available everywhere on Amazon. It's available at all uh, major um, you know, bookstores. But, uh, you know, probably the best place to get in contact with us is uh, our Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash metabolic effect. And on that page, uh, you know, we, Keone and I still stay very active on that page. We also have a staff of people who answer questions on that page. That's the best place to kind of, uh, you know, get involved with the social network because we all need, you know, one of the key aspects of change, of course, is having the support system. And so there's a whole support network on there. That's the best place for people to keep up with us. They also can go to our website, metaboliceffect.com. We have forums there as well where they can ask questions. We have a 10-week fat loss program for people who want to get introduced more formally to the fat loss lifestyle. And we also have a clinic um, that they can be linked to through our website. But those are the key places to uh, to kind of get in touch with us. Great. Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Noel. Uh, hopefully we'll get to catch up soon. Yeah, I hope so. Have an awesome night. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, I have two minutes remaining on the line, you guys. I wish I had carved out 90 minutes. I would have definitely done so if I knew how long it was going to go. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Next week I'll be talking with Dr. John Neustadt about bone health um, and osteoporosis. So it's not just if you already have osteoporosis. We'll talk about how you can prevent it and how you can treat it and reverse it naturally. Um, And then the week after that I'll be speaking with Dr. Dick Tom about the natural treatment of chronic disease. So definitely tune in. That will be an awesome show. Thanks again for listening. Dr. Low Radio, I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, and I will see you next time. Bye. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Get ready to rise and shine. Get ready to dive in, reach out, to grow. Get ready to launch and to lead. Get ready for your hire. Visit rmu.edu today to see the stats, stories, and rankings. Robert Morris University. Get ready.